we're starting a series uh, today, probably go about eight weeks, and uh, calling it Rescued from the Past, in the Present, and in the Future. Uh, rescued. Uh, we could say saved, but I'm not sure many people even know what saved means. We hope, and so we just picked another word, rescue. Rescued us from our past. He's rescuing us in the present, and he will rescue us in the future. <clears throat> For the backdrop of uh, most of these studies, not everyone, uh, we'll reach into the themes of Romans without going verse by verse, but we're going to pick up distinct themes in that book. And so, you know, I've done the book of Romans. Take me two years going verse by verse. Well, we're not going to take that long on this. We're going to hit big themes. And today, I want to speak to you on sin, the ruin God rescues us from. Sin, the ruin God rescues us from. I thought about one time saying the mess, but it sounds a little nicer to say the ruin that God rescues us from. Oh, isn't that better? Thank you, miracle worker. Um, and uh, I want to look at the subject, and uh, three things I'd like to look at. Uh, first of all, we need to know sin is the bondage that the whole human race has been born into. For all have sinned and are fallen short of the glory of God. God has chosen to rescue anyone in this ruined race that is willing to call on the Lord Jesus and trust him. He will save you, no matter who you are, no matter where you've been, what you've done. He's a chain breaker. He's a savior. He's a rescuer. Um, I want to look at three things, three things. It's really by way of introduction. I want to look at the cultural viewpoints about sin, all right? The cultural viewpoint. Uh, sin is a bad word, an archaic word, and a word you're not supposed to use in church anymore. You can't make people come back to church and hear about sin. And we'll, we'll look at why. Uh, two, I want to look at the human condition from God's point of view. Does he use the word? How does he use it? And finally, uh, I'm going to present to you the, the cure, the uh, divine cure for the human condition in sin. Very straightforward. Cultural attitudes, the divine perspective on our condition, and the divine solution for our condition. Uh, let me... Uh, introduce you to some things about the cultural attitudes. I read an uh, introduction of four philosophies that uh, govern psychology today, counseling as a whole. These would be uh, four of the leading kinds of uh, things you would hear. Uh, one is that through evolution, we've been told man is basically good. And that is the human perspective. Man is good. He, uh, 
He needs more education. He needs direction. Uh, we need to end poverty. We need to do good things, but basically all people are born good. There was a man by the name of Pelagius. He taught that all were born neutral and no sin enters at birth, that we, uh, we never commit sin until we commit our first sin, but that we were all born like Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Augustine rose up against him in the fourth century. He said, no, we're born with inbred sin. Just give us time and we will sin. And this is known as original sin. Uh, a second attitude is what they call determinism. And that is that you are programmed to do what you do and you are what you are and you will do what you've been programmed to do. It's determined. It's right there. Um, the third attitude, especially in postmodernism that we're all living through, is relativism. Uh, we've lost all source of absolute truth. Uh, we have no dictionaries that tell us morality or ethics There's, because the issue is uh, who wrote the dictionary? Uh, who can tell us what sin is? Who Whose dictionary would you go to? Uh, fourthly, sin is an unpleasant subject, and what we need to hear the most is self-esteem. Man needs to be told how good he is, how valuable he is. So we've taken away grading in some schools. Nobody flunks. They're just passed. Everybody gets an A in math, whether they get an or not. You know, it, it, because we must not do anything to damage the psyche. Um, I read from an article by Jeremiah Johnson. The article is called, Whatever Happened to Sin? You don't hear much about sin from the pulpit anymore. Recognizing and identifying it, wrestling with the guilt of it, repenting of it, or for that matter, dealing with it at all. Those ideas are passe in most churches today. What you will hear is a lot of talk about brokenness, negativity, <clears throat> as if Christ humbled himself just to cure depression. The modern church has largely done away with the biblical language of sin, salvation, replacing it with gooey postmodern verbiage that appeals to a generation raised on psychobabble and self-help seminars. One popular preacher in this case, and I use that term loosely, recently devoted his Easter Sunday service to a rambling, confusing analogy of Christ as a breath meant. He actually had the audacity to compare the offenses of bad breath to sin and Christ came as a breath meant. That kind of pseudo spiritual garbage passes in some circles as gospel. He goes on to say um, today we've been raised on this idea we're all victims. Victimization. And there's a lot of aspects of that. Uh, physical abuse, sexual abuse, uh, spousal abuse, parental abuse. Uh, 
The race has been abused by one another. We sin against each other. We've all been sinned against, and we've all sinned in various ways. But this idea that every problem is you are the victim, uh, you are not to blame for anything you do. Because you're the victim of maybe your environment, your circumstances, the people in your life. And since you didn't have good parents, maybe perfect parents, whatever, it, ah, ah, we see the connection. We see the connection. You hear some groups, they talk about generational sins. Ah, your father was this, well, you're, you're, you're predestined to be this way. Because you, you have a, uh, in your background, there was demon worship, let's say. In your background, there was this behavior. You're a victim. You've been given a DNA that says you were meant to be this. You can't help it. I like to say this. According to the scripture, we are all in a family tree that the DNA goes back to we are sinners. We have rebelled against God, and we've all been victimized of something in the past. You don't want to check your ancestors too far back. Uh, Winston Churchill wrote, uh, I forget how many volumes, on the uh, history of the English-speaking people. Uh, Carolyn just did ancestry thing. I did it, but I didn't have enough spit for, to satisfy them. And, but they sure were convinced that we came out of Ireland, England. She, uh, this girl came out of all the British Isles. My mother's full-blooded Irish, then the Howards were English. So we're back there. But Winston writes, the British Isles were settled by cannibals. You don't have to go to Africa to have cannibalism. The Vikings and the British Isles were settled by brutal people, the people you think of as blue bloods, the people of sophistication, the people of royalty, let me tell you, if you go far enough back in your family tree, you'll find more sin than you keep up with. But we keep trying to make us a race of gods, and we're a race of sinners, and that offends, offends like you won't believe. It sounds barbaric. It sounds insensitive. It sounds like you're out of step with the times, uh, you've not been educated uh, in the modern world because this is not you. I received a book, uh, the big thing today, self-esteem. Prosperity preachers, Joel Osteen kind of preaching, uh, never uses the word sin. He was taught not to because about, oh, I'd say 20, 20 years ago, maybe further back, Robert Schuller sent to all the pastors of America a free copy of his book, Self-Esteem, the New Gospel. Don't ever tell people they're bad. Never tell them they sin. Never tell them they could ever be wrong. What they're desperate for is self-esteem. Tell them they're good. Tell them they've guaranteed a good future. Uh, you can have your best life now is one of the very popular books by Olstein. Well, you know what? If you're going to hell, the best life is now. <laughs> this is the only time it's going to be good. 
When you die, you die without Christ, the best is behind you. How can you tell a man that everything's going to be okay? Self-esteem gospel. Tell people they're going to prosper, that they got to have health, uh, they're okay, you're okay, I'm okay. Uh, in our culture, we have another diagnosis. We, we've renamed everything sickness. Uh, they're not a, a bad boy. They just have ADD. Now, some of you already get mad because your child's been diagnosed. But I'll, I'll give you an example. Uh, uh, our children fidgety. You ought to see my three-year-old great-grandson. He's plenty fidgety. I always request volume to be given to him before they come. <laughs> and go, 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 go. Energy, energy. I've seen people say, well, he's not fidgety. Now, now look at two approaches. I went when our father took us someplace, and because I grew up with my younger sister, we would usually be with my mom and dad. The other kids had got, maybe gone out of the home, whatever. But my, my father would say this to Ruth and I. Now, we're going to someone's house. Now, listen to me. Don't ask for any candy. Has anyone ever been told this? Don't be going to the bathroom. Daddy, what do I do? Don't go. Don't be going through their house. You sit. You get permission. You don't wander through the house. But, Dad, I've got ADD. <laughs> and he said, and I got a belt. <laughs> Does anyone understand? Is it, was I just then cruel? We're all fidgety. I'm not saying you're a kid, whatever. I go in there. Don't get touchy with me. You'll get mad enough. I'll give you enough time to get mad. But we've got all these names. I have to ask my children. They put initials on me. I said, in other words, I'm a jerk. No, you don't say that. You've got to put an initial. Do, 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 do. That's your problem. Whoa, it sounds bad. It's not you're angry, you're hateful, uh, you're mean, uh, you're dishonest, uh, you're dirty, you're... Don't do that. This could damage the ego. Everything is either called you had a bad brain, victim. Um, I was just going through some of the articles. Then I read an article on whatever became of sin. And then as I read the article, Carl Menninger, 40 years ago, wrote a book. He was a psychotherapist, had a leading practice, Carl Menninger, and he wrote a book on whatever happened to sin, and he raised the issue, who decides what sin is? Who decides what sin is? How can you confess a sin when you don't know what to call it? Lord, I confess I did something, but I don't know what to call it. Whatever happened to the Bible dictionary? Can you call, okay, let, let's, uh, in niceness, let's say, 
what's your problem? Uh, I, I'm addicted to alcohol. Okay. Well, the Bible called it drunkenness. Now, that sounds cruel, doesn't it? You're not calling them a drunk, are you? You're barbaric. I mean, most of the culture, let me say on the street, everything I'm saying would make them throw up. I know that. And most churches won't put up with this. I know that. I won't be invited back as a guest speaker. That's my first theme. Because whatever happened to sin, we don't, we don't talk about judgment. We don't talk about guilt. We don't, we don't talk about you're responsible. Isn't it easier to blame someone? I would have been more had I not had you for my parents. I might have done more had I had more maybe opportunity, whatever. We've got all this milieu of opinions, philosophy, and in all of it, the word sin never shows up. Nobody's guilty. Nobody's done anything wrong. Well, I just killed 15 kids at school because I saw the video clip on YouTube of how to make your weapons and how to kill a group at one time. And... Uh, let's test him for psychological, uh, you know, uh, stability. Smart enough to figure the crime, smart enough to get the weapon, smart enough to plan it, but maybe not smart enough to stand trial. I mean, that's where, that's where we are. Because they may have a psychological hang-up. Believe me, they've got a hang-up. They've got a bent. They've got a They've got a warpness, the word iniquity meant to be twisted and bent inside. Uh, my daughter told me in South Carolina, they're trying to pass legislation that to be a pedophile is acceptable. Sex with a child at any age ought to be legalized. Yeah. Uh, gender confusion. I mean, I actually grew up knowing which bathroom to go to. Now, I mentioned to one of my grandchildren one time, I said, what about uh, this kind of sex, that kind of... I said, oh, Grandpa, get over it. It's no big deal at school. They do whatever they want. There are no mores. There are no standards. Now, into such a climate, the Apostle Paul goes to the church in Rome where Caligula marries his sister, where the emperors of Rome taught young boys to be their homosexual lovers at the same time they were married and had a mistress. So sex was wide open. The Greeks taught the body is matter is evil anyway, and sex is only an appetite. It's, there's no mores to govern who you sleep with, why you sleep. That is, has not, it's a physical need. No morals attached. And so Paul steps into the pagan world of Rome and he says, I've come to preach the gospel to you because only the gospel can give you a right standing with God. Now, he's going to start his case by telling the bad news first. What's wrong with us? What's wrong with us? Before he tells us how it can be righted. Look at verse 18. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. 
By the way, Romans was not the first New Testament epistle that Paul wrote, but it's put the first because all the other books expand on it. Everything he says in Romans is the full story of Christianity. You don't understand Christianity by reading Leviticus. You don't understand. You've got to read Romans and know what it's teaching. That's why I think it's the main book you've got to study. Not just read, but study. Um, listen to verse 18. For the wrath of God. Oh, man. Don't tell me there's an angry kid. There they go. Hellfire brimstone. Hmm. Little, a misleading translation here, I think, to this for the wrath of God, which equals his anger, his righteous anger, and it ought to be a present tense there, is being revealed. This is ongoing. From heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Now he begins to tell you why God is angry with the human race. Uh, you don't invent hell because you're not mad. You don't tell men you're going to hell because you're upset. You're righteously outraged, and you must judge the rebel. So he says, Paul comes to Rome, God is angry with you. God is angry with the human race. He's not a divine Santa Claus that has to get along with any of you. He doesn't have to get through the psych department. doesn't have to get through the philosophy department. He doesn't have to catch up with Americans. He's God. He's judge. You will face him. And he says, right now, I'm angry. And I'm going to tell you why I'm angry. If you can write the letters I, you'll get it. First of all, you've chosen to be ignorant of who I am. You've chosen to be ignorant. Notice what he says. Who by their unrighteousness suppress, hold down the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. Adam and Eve, God revealed himself. God destroys the earth with a flood. The eight people that survived the flood, God reveals himself to them. At one time, everybody on the face of the earth knew who God was. Everybody. How did we lose him? How did we lose him? Watch. This is how we lost him. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, and divine nature. You try to make a Milky Way. Something bigger than the stars made the stars. And he said, there's my power on display. The heavens declare my glory. They've been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. 
He's saying, the human race, I'm angry with you because you put your foot on me and on my neck and everything I stand for, and you've blotted out. You've done everything you can from all the way back in Genesis to blot out who I am. You are worshiping gods back in Genesis. You are worshiping your body. You are worshiping perversion. Stuff, suppress. The word means hold down, hold down, stuff out, put out the fire. God says, you think I'm passive about what you're trying to do when you're trying to snuff out the very existence of my name and what I've done and my creation. I am angry with the human race for this kind of behavior. I hold you all accountable for not knowing who I am. I hold you accountable. Two, idolatry. Watch what he says now. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for in images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Human beings would never worship nature, would it? Human beings would never worship whales and at the same time kill children in the womb. Would they? They do. It's sophisticated in California. You're, you're modern. Save animals, kill children. Save animals, sleep with anything you can get in bed, even if it's an 11-year-old. This is the human race, and they were acting the same way in Rome because the Greeks were bankrupt on morals. He said, he went on down here. They exchanged, in verse 25, they exchanged the truth about God, what could be known, for the lie. It's a definite article in the Greek. For the lie. And worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. Creature worship. I don't care if it's a human being, a thing, money, uh, nature, stars. Uh, man always busts out in some form of worship, some kind of adoration. And he says, they booted me out. They, they made an exchange. You know, it's like a bid for my life. Uh, oh, a snake worship, nature worship. Oh, the living God, get out of here. I'll take this. And God says, I'm not passive. I'm angry. I made you in my image to worship me, and now you'd rather bow to images. I mean, when you, when you study the history of idolatry that Israel fell into, they were giving their daughters to idols that they would be forced to have sex with that were nothing but wooden stone idols. And you did that and gave me up? You, you mean you would offer your child to Molech, the burning idol that had arms that went into the mouth of the idol, that they built a fire inside that idol, and then you put your child, and it was terrible for the mothers who heard this infant screaming all the way into an inferno on fire. You did that? He said in Jeremiah, 
you did things I never entered my mind to ask you to do. I just ask you to love me, and yet you're burning up your children. You'll do more for sin and the devil than God's ever asked you to do. Quit griping about God and service for God. We give him pittance for what he has done for us. The devil wants you a mister. He'll make a slave, a fool, and an idiot, and damn your soul. Satan is the enemy of this universe. Sin will cost you dearly. Choose another God. Choose Coke. Take all the Coke you can take. Take sex all you want. Take this. Oh, you'll find no satisfaction. You'll be broken. You'll be broken. You'll be broken. It was when the prodigal came to his senses, he realized, I left the best thing I had in my father's house. I went to the pigs and the hogs, and I'm out here begging to get a meal. And when I've got a dad with a full table, I just got to go home. And some of you need to get home. You need to get home. Sin, sin, ignorance, idolatry. Then God says, when you kick me out, and you choose other gods, this is what I'm going to give you over to, verse 24. I gave them over to the lust of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies. Then turn over to page 20, uh, verse 26. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For the women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Without God, you won't know what to do with your body. Oh, you'll only do those things that will destroy it. We have more sexually transmitted diseases today, even with penicillin, than any time. We can't control it. We can't control it. But it's a sin that often comes back to haunt what you did with your body in your youth you can be struggling and living with in your 30s. Why did I throw my body away so recklessly? Because sexual sin, he said, always destroys the body. 1 Corinthians 6. So he said, I gave them up, and when I let pull back the restraints, their bodies were used for all kinds of impurity. They didn't even know who to sleep with because God gave sex for three things. Number one, procreation. That was what he told Adam and Eve. Procreate, and the means is sexuality. And man and woman keep the race going. If you get just the same genders, you can't keep the race going. Now, you can get some other woman to carry your seed, and they're doing this because they want children. But just logically, if women were with women and men with men, it would be the death of the human race. It would be genocide. So now they have infertilization, uh, they'll get a lesbian woman to carry my seed so we can't have a child and we'll share the parenthood together. 
And so they're getting around that because they do want children. But it, it's, it's an out of balance totally with what the Creator said. So then, look, he ends the chapter with the things God says are debased. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, that's hate. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. He ends his argument against the human race in chapter 3, and he concludes that both Jew and Gentile are guilty before God, and he sums it up with 14 counts of guilt, 14 counts and he reaches into the Psalms, and he reaches into the Old Testament to bring forth, therefore I conclude that the whole human race stands in need of a mighty Savior. And he says this to you. He says this to your mother, to your grandmother, to your children, to your grand. This is God's indictment against the human race. Fourteen counts. We're in court. This is what the judge says. Verse 10. I pick up nine. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks or Gentiles, are under the divine sentence of sin. It is written... None is righteous, no, not one. Have you ever admitted you're not good enough to go to heaven apart from Jesus Christ? Are you resting in your righteousness? Are you resting, I'm good enough, I'm not that bad, I'm a nice guy, I'm a nice lady, whatever. And yet he says, none Possess the righteousness that will get you to heaven. So you say, well, I've been baptized. Well, uh, that's nice, but it won't save. You say, well, I grew up in church. It's nice. Have you been inoculated or infected? Sometimes you get just enough religion to be inoculated. You know all the answers, but you don't know Christ. You know all about church life, but you're just as lost as you can be. There is none righteous. Isaiah used the phrase, a very gross phrase, your righteous deeds are like filthy rags. The rags they wrapped around lepers. The rags of menstruation. The rags that were ceremony. He said, your best stinks before the living God. You're not righteous enough this morning if you should die and leave here. If you have not received Christ, your righteousness 
by itself will plunge you into hell. You only can find the righteousness that gets you into heaven in the Lord Jesus Christ. He came to die for your sins and to give you a righteousness you could never earn. He goes on. He goes on. He said, no one understands. He's not talking about you don't know mathematics. You don't know geography. No one understands God. They don't understand God's ways uh, because they voluntarily have become ignorant of God. I don't want to know it. I don't, don't bring God into my life. I might feel guilty. He might ruin the party. No one seeks for God. Isn't that amazing? I find many people who say they are seeking God, they're basically seeking relief from some sin. Uh, the girlfriend maybe broke up. The wife may have left. The husband may have left. A child may be breaking. And a lot of times, uh, I'll give church a try because, uh, uh, you know, I've lost something. I need a sedative for the soul, and that's understandable. But many times, they don't want God. They want relief. God seeks us or none would be saved. Jesus sought for you. You don't go looking for him. That's why pain is his famous greatest evangelism tool. Sinners usually have to have enough pain to give God a look at. In your pain, nobody looks better than a Savior. How much will it take? People in hell never repent. We never read of one time they repent. They would do it all over again. Did you know that? The people who go to hell would do it all over again. I don't want God, and if hell's the alternative, I'll take it. It's hard to believe we could be that ignorant, stubborn, and hostile to God. He goes on. All have turned aside. Together, they have become worthless. So we've turned aside from God's uh, path. We've abandoned God. He said we've become worthless. Or the idea is useless. We, we have uh, we've distorted the purpose for which we were created. It's like a tool that refuses to do what it was made to do. It's useless to you. Might as well throw it away. And God said, the human race is becoming useless to me. They don't want to give me glory. They don't want to give me honor. They don't want to give me thanks. They want rain. They want children. They want food. They want, but they don't want me. They're useless to me. They don't ever say thanks. They never acknowledge that I created. They're all for self. They're useless for what I made them for. They bring me no glory. Ask yourself, does God get any glory out of you? And then he goes on and says, no one does good. Not even one. That includes you. That includes me. No one. You see, it's this way. We all fall short Here's the standard, and some are closer to meeting it than others. I liken it to if we all went to Pier 39, and those who did track, and if you liked running broad jump, 
and those kind of things. Uh, let's say we're going to have a contest. Let's have a broad jump contest. And we're going to, here's the goal. Here's the goal. I'm going to compete with you. We're going to run, run, and you've got to reach Alcatraz. I don't care if you outjump me by 20 yards. You're going to land in the bay. You can't jump that far. So some jump further than others. Some are better than others. But none are so good that God says you're good. You're a thousand miles from me. Your best doesn't even touch the closest I want. And then if you don't believe we're sinners, what you need to do is examine the mouth of the patient. You know, you put that little depressor on there. Ah, what's my tongue sticking out? Have anything to do with my problem? Well, they see infection. They can see this. They can see that. But look how God says, this is what I've got against you. Watch, watch your mouth. Watch this. Their throat is an open grave. That, that's kind of depicable. wonder if they're in uh, a decomposition stage. That would be a stinking place to be around. That's why they had to put the spices on Jesus quick. They were afraid of decomposition. But did you know what the psalm said? He will not decompose. God promised his son, I will not let the skin worms even touch you. Pretty good. Jesus never even began to rot. No such thing. But he said, the throat is an open grave to some people, the moment they start talking, they start lying. They use their tongues to deceive. They're liars. They never know what they said last because they just lie. Whatever gains the advantage. Notice this. My lens. Uh, I got a grandson that always wants to see National Geographic, and he loves snakes. And you watch enough of those, you don't sleep at night. I mean, I see him getting these venomous snakes and getting the poison out. And man, we were looking at cobras, and we were like, I thought, and then I was supposed to go to bed. And see, don't be afraid. Then, then it's uh, pythons and, you know, things that help you sleep well. And, man, that venom is incredible. And here he says, look at the mouth of the sinner, and venom is under their lips. They can poison you in a minute with gossip, slander, bad language. Notice this. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Well, see, I don't work around this. The most dangerous thing in my office is my secretary. <laughs> but Edwin, who's a teamster, works in San Francisco, he keeps us informed what they talk about on the dock, what teamsters are doing all day, the language, the brawls, the animosity, the, uh, the behaviors of sinners. And he keeps us informed, oh, no, no. The mouth of men and women are dirty. 
their dangers. It's full of curses and bitterness. Have you, how many times in a day can you hear somebody say, God damn you? Take God's name to eternally damn someone. First they're wrong to use God's name. And by the way, church folks, quit using God's name unless you mean it. You know, I hear people in church, oh, Jesus, what do you mean? Were you going to talk to him? Go ahead. What you have to say? Oh, no, I just put that in instead of George. I said, Jesus, say George. My wife gets me because I've been saying, bye, George. She said, boy, you're close to cussing. I said, what do you mean? I said, George. He said, you meant it for by God. I said, I never thought of it until you said it. But do you know folks in church, God, Jesus, you're taking his name in vain. I said, you're taking his name in vain. Don't be, don't be using his name unless you really want something. Because you might be shocked. He may just say, yes. <laughs> and then you die on the spot. But look what he says here. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. I belonged to the Richmond Y for a while, and I would do exercises in the pool, but getting out, they had a sauna, and it was amazing. It was mainly an old man's sauna. You got in there, everybody uh, kind of looked like uh, Shamu. Uh, I mean, big gray hair, older, there's old geezers in there, and just like that. I was the youngest thing. You ought to hear what old men can talk about in a sauna. I thought I was at Helms Junior High. Uh, you mean you got a wife, you got children, you got grandchildren, and you still talk like the garbage can? You never got out of the sewer, did you? Uh, you're not educated. Oh no, I'm an engineer. And I wanted to say, like, I'll leave it. No, no, your mouth betrays your heart. Your mouth brings up from the, McGee used to say, the mouth is the bucket that draws from the well of the heart. I know what's in your heart when I listen to you talk. Well, their feet are swift to shed blood. Can that be? Just a mile over here. A dear couple in our church in those days wonderful couple. He was the chief of police for Richmond. Killed his boy over an ounce of drugs. Just one ounce. Misunderstanding with the drug dealer. Is it dangerous? You know where I grew up in Richmond today? Whether you're white or black, it's dangerous because so many men have been killed there over just an ounce over just an argument. They're swift. Let's kill somebody. They say, let's do it. Matter of fact, we know how to kill 20 at a time. We'll do it at church. We'll do it at a theater. We'll do it at Las Vegas. We love to kill people have no remorse. We don't even know the names of the people we're killing. We're just killing them because we like to kill. 
In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. Guilty. Guilty. At the white throne judgment, nobody speaks up in their defense. It's amazing to watch NBA games and to see the player always arguing with the, the umpire. And, no, 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 no. Get out. Technical. I'm in charge here, not you. And when you come before God, he's in charge. And no lawyers allowed. And if you don't take your case to Jesus now, right now he'll take your case. And he alone can get you off because he alone has paid for your crimes. Jesus Christ died for our depression, died for our uh, self-esteem, died for our uh, victimization. Did he ever die for your sins? I can't hear you. Do you believe it? Or are you just mouthing? You can't be an evangelist unless you believe people are going to hell. That's why we lost urgency in the church. Oh, some of you believe in hell, but you don't believe in evangelism. You don't believe in trying to win anybody. I don't want to be aggressive. I don't want to be in their face. You can't live in this culture without sin being in your face, and the verdict is out. Judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. God is angry. He said he was, and he listened. He goes for three chapters. I'll tell you why I'm angry. Men have chosen to be ignorant of me. Men have chosen other gods over me. Men have given up their bodies to immoral, sinful behavior. And finally, these 14 summary statements is, they don't want me anyway. They don't seek me anyway. They don't want my peace anyway. So to hell they will go. But I offer a way out in my son, but he will do you no good unless you receive him. It's sort of like medication, you know, the big debate, do we inoculate or not? Then all of a sudden we have a breakout of measles because some people say, I don't inoculate, and others we will. And so you start troubling now with what could be an epidemic. You never know. Sometimes we even encounter you. Rich Rollins' famous line was, uh, I gave you the medicine, have you taken it? Medicine that you don't take will not cure you. You got to get it in you. What keeps you from taking Christ? You're guilty before God without him. And he will not be, he may be short, he may be long-suffering, but he has a good memory. He's recording every reason why you haven't come. This morning, he stands able, ready, and willing to save you. He, he wants to say, somebody has paid for your sins. I find you guilty. I find you guilty righteously. But I offer you the good news. And the good news, Paul said, the gospel that I bring to you can give you a righteous standing before the living God by faith alone. The law won't do it. Good works won't do it. 
Your religious background won't do it. Your baptism won't do it. Only Christ saves. What keeps you from taking him? You don't have tomorrow. You cannot guarantee me you'll be here tomorrow. Why would you keep gambling with your soul? If you died today, where would you go? Where would you go? Maybe it's not well with your soul, but it can be. Jesus Christ is a mighty Savior. He came to deal with sin. He came. He is the one that can rescue you from the ruin that the whole race lives with. Your family was as bad off as my family. We all are in the same boat. We need a mighty Savior. Do you want him? Do you want him? Do you want him? I want to pray for you, and I'd like for some of the brothers and some of our precious choir come up. We're going to sing, Be My Everything. Let me pray for you. Father, it's a terrible thing to live under the guilt of our sins and not know how to escape. I want to thank you for the scapegoat that Jesus willingly took our place. I could hear the Father saying, it will cost me and the Holy Spirit, the second member of the Godhead, to cure the problem. But we freely give up the Son. We give up the Son to bear the guilt, to make the payment, because nobody is good enough to ever go to heaven unless we do something. You didn't send us another legislation. You didn't send us a ziggurat to crawl on and try to offer enough sacrifices that the gods would be pleased. You said, I'm not asking you to give up your child to an idol. I'll give up my son. I'll give him up and he will voluntarily lay down his life that he may save you from your sins. Father, if there's anyone today that the Spirit of God has convinced them they are a sinner and they are guilty before the living God and the religion, their works, uh, their what they would call moral behavior, I'm better than these other people, Deliver them from the blindness that before a holy God we all stand convicted. Would you save? We know in the culture, Lord, many people that are even watching this message online, I would never want to go to that kind of church. They believe in sin. They believe man needs a Savior. It's not all about self-esteem. It's about coming to Christ and finding our meaning, our reality, and our purpose at his feet. Yeah. Oh, Father, I pray, I pray, if there's anyone here that today wants to make this decision, give them the courage, the courage to flee to Christ. While your head's about, I don't do this often, but I want to ask you, is there anyone, is there anyone the Spirit of God may be dealing with that this is your day? 
If today you want to receive Christ, you may want some of us men to pray with you. You may just want to do it where you are. Uh, are you here? Just would you, would you be bold enough to raise your hand so that we may pray for you, keep you in our prayers? Is there anyone here that says, the Spirit of God is wooing me to come? The Spirit of God is telling me today is my day. I want to put faith in Christ, maybe for the first time, that you've never been this close before. I pray for you. I pray for you, saints, to invite the lost, to invite your friends, your mother, your father, your children, whatever connections. It's the last days. Time is running out. We must desperately try to reach as many as we can in this culture. Are you here? Are you here? But you need a great Savior. Father, I pray for all who are weighing this decision in their heart. Bring them to yourself. I simply ask, let no one perish who has heard my voice today. Save, save. Father, take us with your blessing. I like to thank you for saving me. That my guilt, my shame, and my sins have been cast into the sea of forgetfulness. They've been expunged from your sight. And when I die, I'm not facing a white throne judgment where my sentence will be read. I will embrace Jesus, my Savior, my Lord, my God. Save. You're a magnificent Savior, mighty to save. And if there's anyone here, Lord, that hasn't stepped across the line, bring them. I know how afraid I was the night I got saved. I, I couldn't walk two rows. I was too afraid. And a big brother coached me, go, go. Oh, it's your time. It's your time. It's your time. And I came. I knelt. And I found a forgiveness I never dreamed of. Come. Come. Let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. That's our begging message. Come to Jesus. We ask in his name. If you're a Christian, when you dismiss, tell him, I have a wonderful Savior in Jesus. If you haven't said that, you can witness to another Christian. I've got a wonderful Savior. Do you? You ought to tell even another brother or sister, a wonderful Savior. God bless you.